Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about the chemistry behind alcohol. Where did it originate? What is its significance to the field of chemistry? How easy is it to make? What do the chemicals in alcohol do to your body? All that and more as we dive in and explore to learn more about... Alcohol. But first, let's hear a recent headline from the NEWS, the news. In the news, we have an autonomous robotic rover helping scientists with long-term monitoring of deep-sea carbon cycle and climate change. From the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, an autonomous robotic rover called Benthic Rover II, or Benthic Rover II, has provided new insight into life on the abyssal seafloor. 4,000 meters, or over 13,000 feet, beneath the surface of the ocean. The data collected from this rover is fundamental to understanding the impacts of climate change on the ocean. Ken Smith, a senior scientist over at Monterey Bay, says the success of this abyssal rover now permits long-term monitoring of the coupling between the water column and seafloor. Understanding these connected processes is critical to predicting the health and productivity of our planet engulfed in a changing climate. In the past, Smith and other scientists relied on stationary instruments to study carbon consumption by deep seafloor communities. They could only deploy these instruments for days at a time. By building on 25 years of engineering innovation, Monterey Bay has developed a long-term solution for monitoring the abyssal seafloor. Engineers designed Bethnic Rover 2 to handle the cold, corrosive, and high-pressure conditions of the deep sea floor. Constructed from corrosion-resistant titanium, plastic, and pressure-resistant syntactic foam, this rover can withstand deployments up to 6,000 meters, or almost 20,000 feet deep. Bethnic Rover 2 is about the size of a small car, 2.6 meters, 8.5 feet long, 1.7 meters, 5.6 feet wide, and 1.5 meters, 4.9 feet high. And it treads gently over the muddy bottom on a pair of wide rubber tracks. Researchers deploy Bethnic Rover 2 from the RV Western Flyer, a vessel provided by Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institution. The ship's crew gently lowers the rover into the water and releases it to freefall to the ocean. It takes the rover about two hours to reach the bottom. Once it lands on the seafloor, the rover begins its mission. First, sensors check the currents flowing along the seafloor. When they detect favorable currents, the rover moves up or across the current to reach an undisturbed site to begin collecting data. Cameras on the front of the rover photograph the seafloor and measure fluorescence. The distinctive glow of chlorophyll under blue light reveals how much fresh phytoplankton and other plant debris has landed on the seafloor. 
Sensors log the temperature and oxygen concentrations of the waters just above the bottom. Next, the rover lowers a pair of transparent respirometer chambers that measure the oxygen consumption of the community of life in the mud for 48 hours. As animals and microbes digest organic matter, they use oxygen and release carbon dioxide into a specific ratio. Knowing how much oxygen those animals and microbes use is crucial for understanding carbon remineralization, the breakdown of organic matter into simpler components, including carbon dioxide. After 48 hours, the rover raises the respirometer chambers and moves 10 meters, or 32 feet, forward. Careful not to cross its previous path and select other sites to sample. It repeats the sampling pattern over and over for the duration of deployment, typically a full year. At the end of each deployment, the RV Western Flyer returns to recover the rover, download its data, swap its battery, and return it into the deep sea floor for another year. Within each year of deployment, the Monterey Bay team launches another autonomous robot, called the Wave Glider. It is launched from shore to return courtly to check in on the Benthic Rover 2's progress. Data collected at Station M show the deep sea is far from static. Physical, chemical, and biological conditions can change dramatically over timescales ranging from hours to decades. The surface waters of California Current over Station M team with phytoplankton in the spring and summer. These seasonal pulses in productivity cascade from the water column to the seafloor. Much of the sinking organic matter, known as marine snow, originated as carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Over the past decade, Monterey Bay researchers have observed a dramatic increase in large pulses of marine snow falling into the seafloor at Station M. These episodic events account for an increasing fraction of the yearly food supply at the site. In seven years of operation at Station M, Benthic Rover 2 recorded significant weekly, seasonal, annual, and episodic events, all providing data that help Monterey Bay researchers understand the deep sea carbon cycle. Between November of 2015 and November of 2020, Benthic Rover 2 recorded a substantial increase in the reign of dead phytoplankton and other plant-rich debris landing on the abyssal seafloor from waters overhead. A decrease in the concentration of dissolved oxygen in the waters just above the deep sea floor accompanied with windfall of organic matter. Traditional short-term monitoring tools would not have detected the fluctuations that drive long-term changes and trends. Bethany Rover 2 has revealed a more complete picture of how carbon moves from surface to the seafloor. The ocean is also a crucial component in Earth's carbon cycle and climate. The ocean and its biological communities are a sink of carbon dioxide. Burning fossil fuels, raising livestock, and clearing forests release billions and tons of carbon dioxide into our atmosphere every single year. The ocean has buffered us from the worst impacts by absorbing more than 25% of this excess carbon dioxide. Facing a Changing Climate Understanding how carbon flows between the ocean's sunlit surface and its dark depths is more important than ever. Despite its distance from the sunlit shallows, the deep sea floor is connected to the waters above and is vital for carbon cycling and cyclization. Bits of organic matter, including dead plants and animals, mucus, and excreted waste, slowly sink through the water column to the sea floor. The community of animals and microbes on and in the mud digest some of this carbon while the rest might get locked in the deep sea sediments for up to thousands of years. 
The deep sea plays an important role in Earth's carbon cycle and climate, yet we still know little about processes happening thousands of meters below the surface. Engineering obstacles like extreme pressure and the corrosive nature of seawater make it difficult to send equipment to the abyssal sea floor to study and monitor the ebb and flow of carbon. The success of Benthic Rover 2 at Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institution's ongoing work at Station M highlights how persistent platforms and long-term observations can further our understanding of the largest living space on Earth. With more companies looking to extract mineral resources from the deep sea floor, this data also gives valuable insights into the baseline conditions in areas under consideration for industrial development or deep sea mining. With the news out of the way, let's kick it on over to the TOPIC. The topic. Alcohol, a topic I've been curious on covering lately. Not that I drink, it's just being at a university, alcohol is quite the topic here. Halloween is past, meaning parties with liquor, and the month of November is known for harvests, which can correlate with fine wine. To know a little more about me, half of my family on one parent's side is always partying. So I've been around beer before, but never wanted to drink. My other parents' side, I've never really seen drink any alcohol. And even asking why they don't, they tend to give me the advice that beer isn't that great to begin with. But on to the topic. What better way to open than with a history lesson? Historically, alcohol has been used in association with social activities, including both religious and non-religious rituals, as a dietary component and as a medicinal agent. Alcohol consumption by various cultures predates written history. Although it was once used for therapeutic purposes, it is no longer recommended as therapeutic because of its ability to produce intoxication. The ability of ingested alcohol to get from the gut into the bloodstream and up to the brain where it produces the intoxicating effects is due to its chemical structure and solubility in water. Fermented beverages existed in early Egypt, and alcoholic drinks had evidence to begin in China around 7000 BC. In India, alcohol was referred to as sura, distilled from rice, and used between 3000 and 2000 BC. Babylonians worshipped a wine goddess as early as 2700 BC. In Greece, the first alcoholic beverages to gain popularity was med and fermented drink made from honey and water. Native American civilizations developed alcoholic beverages long before settlers came. The Andes region in South America was created from corn, grapes, and apples, and called chicha. In the 16th century, we see alcohol called spirits, and is largely used for medicinal purposes. At the beginning of the 18th century, the British Parliament passed a law encouraging the use of grain for distilling spirits. Coming to present day, there's been movements and messages wanting more people to be careful and aware about the dangers of alcohol, as if not used in moderation, can seriously hinder your health. It's still a fun drink to have at parties, but now there's just some things that we should know about the dangers of drinking. This is not a podcast to tell you what to do, though. My only message is to please do not drink and drive, and know that there are better ways to spend your time and money than constantly drinking. But did you catch that certain detail earlier? Alcohol was not always used as medicine. It's dated to have been used to help wounds since 1363, and not having become available until the late 1800s. That means somebody's ancestors figured out how this drink is able to be an antiseptic 
disinfectic, and antidote. But what is alcohol? Ethanol, the fancy scientific name for alcohol, is produced using a process called fermentation. Other types of chemicals known as alcohols can be made this way, but are made using natural gas, oil, or coal in the refining processes. Fermentation is a process that turns sugars into acids, alcohol, or gases. It occurs with the yeast and bacteria that turn into cellular energy. This produces ethanol and carbon dioxide. Alcohol itself is the chemical term to describe any compound within an alcohol group, an OH attached to a carbon atom. About 20% of the alcohol is absorbed directly into your bloodstream right when you take a sip, while the remaining 80% is absorbed by your small intestine. When the alcohol reaches your brain, it binds to little things called neuroceptors that usually receive messages from neurotransmitters. Alcohol is an inhibitor. It can reduce the ability of the brain to process information, leading to a lowering of the ability to screen thoughts and behaviors. This occurs in the cerebral cortex, which is the region of your brain mainly responsible for cognitive thinking, behavior, and voluntary muscle movements. When alcohol reaches the cortex, you may feel less sensitive to touch or to physical pain. Of course, this doesn't mean that pain is not physically there. Due to the neurotransmitters being slowed, the pain being experienced is slow to get to the brain's receivers. This is experienced as a numbing effect and therefore physical pain is decreased. Another symptom of alcohol consumption can be sleepiness, loss of coordination, and a feeling of euphoria due to the effect and slowing in the neurotransmitters and receivers. The effects long-term on the body can be serious as the brain chemistry is altered. Under the influence of alcohol, the brain constantly tries to make accommodations and adjustments to keep the brain functioning as normally as possible. Since the brain continues to develop under the age of 25, the effects on the teenage brain can be lifelong and catastrophic. But that is a quick synopsis on alcohol and your body. Alcohol in pharmaceutical products acts as a preservative and or promotes sedation, depending on the agents listed. Many cough and cold liquids and other over-the-counter products contain some alcohol in the formulation. This helps dissolve the certain ingredients or preserve the product. A few of the other products that contain alcohol include certain formulations of Benadryl, Gleritol, Simonex, Tylenol, Vicks, etc. etc. Some remedies contain up to 25% of alcohol. In my life, the most common use of medicine with alcohol is Zequil or NyQuil. Sometimes I have trouble sleeping, so I have Zequil, NyQuil at the hand. And NyQuil always has on the package saying that it includes alcohol, up to 10% to be exact. But the way that most alcohol works when you consume it is that it breaks down or metabolizes by an enzyme in your liver cells, known as alcohol dehydrogenase otherwise known as ADH. ADH breaks down alcohol into acetaldehyde, and then another enzyme, aldehyde dehydrogenase, ALDH, rapidly breaks down acetaldehyde into acetate. So essentially, you drink alcohol, your liver already has a built-in cell that is used to neutralize the alcohol, and both the alcohol and the liver cell combat one another, and in the end, you just get acetate. However, each time your liver filters alcohol, some of the liver cells die. The liver can develop new cells, but prolonged alcohol misuse over many years can reduce its ability to regenerate. This can result to serious liver damage, and is very common in the UK. 
So while we were born to drink, there is a limit to how much we can drink in a set amount of time. Other than medicinal and your body, alcohol is among the most common organic compound used in other products, such as sweeteners and in making perfumes. They're valuable intermediates in the synthesis of other compounds, and are among the most abundantly produced organic chemicals in the industry. Alcohol is also very flammable, seeing as it is a substance commonly made up of mainly carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. This is where you see things such as in movies where people leave a trail of alcohol and light it on fire, or some cooks like to slather a bit of alcohol into the pan while they cook to bring forth some more heat and fire. They're also used as solvents in marker pens, medicine, and cosmetics. In general, the hydroxyl group makes alcohols polar. Those groups can form hydrogen bonds to one another and to most other compounds. Owing the presence of the polar OH alcohols are more water-soluble than simple hydrocarbons. Because of hydrogen bonding, alcohols tend to have higher boiling points than comparable hydrocarbons and ethers. The boiling point of alcohol ethanol is 78 degrees Celsius, comparable to 69 degrees Celsius for the hydrocarbon hexane, and 34 degrees Celsius for diethyl ether. And lastly, simple alcohols are found widely in nature. Ethanol is the most prominent because it is the product of fermentation, a major energy-producing pathway. The other simple alcohols are formed in only trace amounts. More complex alcohols, however, are pervasive, as manifested in sugars, some amino acids, and fatty acids. And that is the chemistry behind alcohol. I will let you know that a lot of my research was finding messages about being careful with alcohol and having a bit of a biased opinion about how it works, as well as some unclear researches about how drinking alcohol might be helpful for you in today's day and age. It was a bit of a mess, but I found some non-biased results, some research that actually helped, uh, and yeah. That was a lot of information. Let's take a breather. Lately, I've been on the grind of work, 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 and more work. Schoolwork, to be exact. I just had my second wave of midterms, and now there's the big final to look forward to. Also, to anyone who might be a fan of the game Animal Crossing, I have been playing that a lot after this huge update to the game that came out on November 5th. This coming Friday, November 19th, is the release of a Pokemon game called Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I'm a huge fan of Pokemon, and these upcoming games are remakes of what were released way back in 2006. I have someone to trade and play alongside with, so that's going to be something I'm excited to experience, because I've never had someone to co-op with before. Other than video games, there's been a lot of book reading as well. I just finished this quick fantasy book titled The Sword and the Satchel by Elizabeth Boyer. This is one of your most basic fantasy style, there's a quest, magic, and swords. What's not to love? Now I'm on my way to complete a trilogy fantasy book that I think are connected to each other, but I'll find out for myself. I'm going to be honest in saying that there's a bit of burnout going on right now. 
The break might not do much, as I may try too hard to get in more work. While doing work, I tend to listen to podcasts or lots of YouTube videos on my watch later list. One video brought up something called the 5 minute rule, where you give yourself just 5 minutes to work on something before moving on to the next thing. This is supposed to make a daunting task either seem less stressful or adrenaline rushing you to commit yourself to only 5 minutes at a time. I've actually been more productive with this. I'm still trying it out a bit and tweaking some things to better fit me, uh, like stretching it to maybe 10 to 15 minutes if I know 5 minutes might not be enough to get started, but I definitely recommend testing it out for yourself. Let's reflect on what we learned today by taking a look at the RECAP. It's recap time. We learned quite a bit. In the news, there's hope towards us learning more about the carbon cycle in the ocean, thanks to the autonomous robot Benthic Rover 2 from Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institution. Its data collected over the years is already being able to provide us with more information on huge parts of the Earth we still know very little about. This can also pave way to humans possibly getting more resources from under the sea. In the topic, we covered the history, science, and effects of alcohol. Dating back to super long ago, someone then found out its medicinal purposes, and now we're trying to let others know of the danger behind this chemical compound. In chemistry, it's actually very useful, as lots of general and organic chemistry classes like to use ethanol, methanol, and other alcoholic compounds in their labs or test questions. And alcohol is used in more things than you may think, like some everyday medicines as preservatives or as flammable starters. Be sure to follow so that way you won't miss a beat when the new episode drops. For more highlights and updates outside of the show, check out underscore stuff matters on Twitter. Got a great idea for a topic? Maybe you want to send me some fan mail or a critique on the show. Feel free to email me through stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark, and thank you for listening to Stuff Matters.